Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. In today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Thomas Welch to the podcast. Dr. Welch is a child and family clinical psychologist and leading expert in working with neurodiverse young people and their families. He specializes in working with those on the autism spectrum and those identified as twice exceptional or 2E. Dr. Welch is also the author of The Breakaway, a parent's guide to transitioning the autistic and twice exceptional adolescent into young adulthood. During our conversation, Dr. Welch offers valuable insights about the best ways to help neurodiverse teens transition through and beyond adolescence. He also explains the five stages of change, as well as the biggest mistake that parents make. You won't want to miss Dr. Welch's expert advice on equipping teens with the most important skills needed to succeed in the world. Whether you have a neurodivergent teen or not, this is a must-listen for parents. Now let's get started. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Uh, you're welcome. I'm very glad to be here. Well, so this is a topic that is so important to so many parents. I actually had several parents reach out to me and set, and ask me if I would do a podcast episode um, with regard to their children who have some learning challenges and who have some other neurodivergent challenges. Um, but before we get into all the questions, if you would just take a minute and introduce yourself to my audience, that would be great. Yeah, um, my name's Tom Welch. I'm a, a child and family clinical psychologist. I live in the Denver metro area, and I uh, do a few things. I, I work uh, in private practice with neurodiverse kids and their families, and then I also run a school specializing in that called HumanX Academy uh, in Inglewood, and uh, we focus on those kids that that just need a smaller, uh, more individualized learning environment with a little bit less stimulus and complication than large public schools. Um, our total population is about 50 kids um, between 6th and 12th grade. Um, and, uh, and most of those kids I always describe as those, those internalizer kids where they, they feel... Um, they feel passionately about a lot of things and they experience the world in a very intense emotional way sometimes um, and just need that, that individualized support. Um, about 40% of our kids are on the autism spectrum and the others um, have a variety of different learning disabilities, um, have that twice exceptional learning profile, anxiety, some depression goes along with all these things. Um, and they just need a place to to feel good and successful and, and, and to have that as they're sort of ramping up toward adulthood. And I know that uh, you, you can't have success on life in your, on your own after high school unless you've had a pretty 
equal balance of successes and setbacks. And I think way all too often there are our students in this neurodiverse category that don't have balance there. And I think as they get older, they're, I don't know, they don't dream. They're not, they're not thinking about what I might do or what's the next thing. It's, it's just a lots of anxiety about what's going to happen in a negative way rather than what I can be. And, and I'm pretty passionate about helping these kids learn how to be themselves and, and, and maybe work on, on, or to work on some of the, the areas where they need to improve, but mostly like be yourself and figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are and, and how to be in the world and, and do that in a setting where all the adults in your world aren't just focused on deficits because who would want that? Mm. You know, I wouldn't show up to that every day if someone only wanted to talk about my problems, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible that you started that school. And I love the name human X because it does take into the human, take the human experience into account. Yeah. Um, and I think it's true, not just in, you know, students with learning challenges or um, on the autism spectrum, but students in general, I feel just like schools everywhere kind of focus on the deficits, right? Like, right. okay, well, you got to get your math grade up. Your your English grade is fine, but get your math grade up. But or you right. know, all the things that they need to do better versus focusing on the what they're good at and, and what their talents are. Right. And the system's geared toward, you know, let's set a goal and, and overcome it. And it, it always tends to focus on, you know, what that person doesn't do well. And um, it just doesn't take into account the individual. And, right. you know, what do they want? What are they ready to work on? Um or more importantly, are they ready to work on those things? And if they're not, how do we help them get to a place where it makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, if you just come at kids with a deficit approach, I think, um, I don't know, I, it feels assaultive, really, mm-hmm. um, rather than collaborative. That's an interesting way to put it, assaultive. I hadn't really thought about that. So for my listeners, the way that we crossed paths was um, I just started searching for someone in this area who I could talk to. And your book came up um, on Amazon, The Breakaway, A Parent's Guide to Transitioning the Autistic and Twice Exceptional Adolescent into Young Adulthood. And I read it and really was blown away. I mean, I don't live in this world, right? I don't have a child or a teen um, who's autistic or twice, twice exceptional, but I know lots of parents who do. And in fact, I mentioned that I was interviewing you to a few parents and they've already bought your book. Oh, very nice. <laughs> um, but I hope it's helpful. Well, I found it helpful. And again, it's not directly impacting me, but I just thought it was really interesting and frankly, good information for all parents to have. There's so much good in, in what you wrote here and what you included in the book. But for those who might not be familiar, let's let's kind of reel it back a little bit. So mm-hmm. neurodivergence and and 2E are twice exceptional. For people who aren't familiar with that, can you explain a little bit about what that means? Well, the neurodiverse or the neurodiverse community really is just an idea that, that we are all part of a spectrum and that, that all of our brains are different. And some people have talents in one area and some people have talents in another. So very broadly, that, that includes all differences. Um, in the world that I'm in, we're really talking about kids with ADHD, executive functioning difficulties, 
um, individuals that um, have learning disabilities of various sorts, um, kids who, who may be on the autism spectrum, um, differences that are especially challenging when you're in an academic setting um, where the system isn't designed for those kiddos and, and how they might learn best. It's really, you know, large education really is sort of industrialized education, right? So we have to, we have to shoot for the mean. Um, and, um, you know, kids at either end of that continuum might not be getting their needs met as well as they could, but that's, that's what the system is charged to do is sort of serve the, the majority of the kids really well. Um, and, and those folks that have some sort of neurodivergent, um, presentation, um, don't get their needs met. Um, and there's a lot of people who are well-meaning, but I don't think understand how to help them maybe, um, or it's just complicated. The twice exceptional piece really is that student who has a learning profile that have both some really high highs and some low lows. Um, so they really, you know, might be uh, exceptional at many things, but have dyslexia or their processing speed uh, is a little bit lower or um, just something in that profile. So th the deficits become the focus, um, sometimes are the, the, the barrier or obstacle to really tapping into that, that higher um, level of functioning that's also there. And so you're left with individuals that are frustrated quite often that they're, I would say in many ways, they're, they're thinking, you know, at like 65 miles an hour and their deficits, you know, kind of get them stuck on the on-ramp that dyslexia, dysgraphia, they have ideas, but it's hard to get out on paper, um, you know, or if they have a language disorder, it's hard to, to say it as quickly or as fastly as they, as fast as they want, or if they're in group conversations, just, you know, the processing speed of keeping up with others as sort of that popcorn conversation between peers, you know, pops between subjects. And so they're, they're frustrated a lot and they, they don't see their strengths and aren't sure how to tap into it. Okay. Well, so we're going to talk about some of the, some of the great content that's in the book um, that will help parents, right? And, and anyone really who engages with teens or young adults who are transitioning. Um, so can we talk about the five stages of change? You talk about that in the book, and I mm -hmm. thought it was really helpful to help parents navigate those. Right. Um, well, when we, we think about the stages of change um, as adults, we're usually going, we're ready to go. Um, it's time for Tom to get on this. Let's, let's hit the road. Um, and when you're thinking about it at that stage, it's, you, you're imagining you're ready to do it and you're ready to take on the challenge, but that's not where most people start. I think, um, it's important to realize that quite often people don't even recognize that change is needed and they're just sort of going along with their existence and, and their awareness of the need to, to change in whatever area is not there. And that, that's really stage one, lack of awareness. I don't, you know, Okay. And then somebody comes and says, you need to change, you know, a natural response is to go, whoa, I don't even, what are you talking about? This, my life's pretty good. I'm not sure what I need to do. You know, when you're approaching someone who's not aware um, that change needs to happen, uh, the approach can't be let's problem solve and set goals and, and get running because that's just not even in their realm yet. You know, at stage two, an individual is starting to say, 
okay, maybe it is possible I could consider that uh, that change might be beneficial, but I'm not sure about it yet. And they're just not not on board completely, but they're thinking about it. Um, stage three would be the person saying, okay, I think it's time to, to get rolling here. Um, and I'm willing to, to get some help and, and set some goals and, and do what I need to do, but I'm going to need a lot of help in that process. The stage after that stage four is really, I'm working on it and making that change. I'm still, still there. We can collaborate. I'm on board. It's still hard. Um, but they're, they're where a lot of people would like them to start, right? That's stage three or stage four. And then finally, stage five is you are just maintaining the change that you've created in your life. And at each stage, parents need to approach that individual, their child, um, in a way that's, that fits what's going on with their child in those moments. And I think that's the hardest thing, right? I mean, anyone in the world can look at somebody who's struggling and tell them what they need to do or what needs to happen for, for things to get better. The art of helping somebody with change is understanding how change occurs and approaching them in a manner that, that doesn't turn them off or create unnecessary power struggles, um, which I will acknowledge is an enormously hard thing to do, you know, as, as a parent who's going, ah, graduation's coming. Yeah. And that's true for any parent, right? I mean, a parent of a teen. And it sounds like from what you're saying, it's kind of, it's a similar process for a teen, but it's maybe slower to start and slower to happen for a neurodiverse or an autistic teen. I think they have, they have greater struggles, right? There's, there's an extra layer of struggle um, there for sure. Um, And, 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 and maybe a little less latitude to, you know, make mistakes and have errors because it could be maybe harder for them to recover or rally from that. I think what, you know, what's pretty typical is, is, is parents and educators are panicking, you know, like they know what's around the corner and the challenge is to come. And there's a sense of urgency to be sure that, you know, they can get their child caught up in, 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 in finding success and happiness and in, in finding out who they are. That is so true. So I, I've heard that from parents. They're starting to really worry and become very anxious about the fact that whether whatever it is after high school is right around the corner, whether it's college or the next step, and right. their teen just isn't ready. And, you know, I've heard this a lot on the podcast from experts like like yourself. You know, we need to meet our kids where they are, right? Um, not where we want them to be. And And I think that's excellent advice. But then again... You get those teens who push back, right? right, and say and resist. As a parent, how do you get your teen on board if they're resisting, pushing back, not wanting to do the work or not wanting to make the change? Right. Well, I I always tell parents that the most important thing is to maintain momentum. Um, lots of kids after high school might be ready to go to college and and take on that challenge. But other kids aren't aren't ready to do that or aren't ready for full time employment, um, and I always say anything other than sitting on the couch or on a game system twenty hours a day, which is a safe place to be. And mm-hmm. and for many many kids, the electronics 
aren't just a tool. They're just, they're the only coping skill for that anxiety and avoidance that those kids are experiencing. And so I always say volunteer, you know, get a job, go do something with the parents, create a reason that they have to get up in the morning and do something. Um, Because I know for any of us, you know, it's impossible if you have no momentum to even recognize opportunities out there for yourself, but there's no confidence to take advantage of them. Um, and you're not learning about who you are. And then parents will ask, okay, but my kid's pushing back and what do I do and how do I make that happen? Um, and I think you have to pick an area where you can create some leverage. Um, I think it's okay to do that because, um, and, and really essential because if the anxiety of getting up is greater than the anxiety of sitting on the couch with your device, you're going to choose the better of two evils. And so you have to make it less comfortable to be on the couch um, than it is to take a step forward. And, and that can mean lots of things. That can mean limiting electronics or making those things contingent upon having some momentum. And I think it's you know, if you're really stuck, it's just finding any momentum. And again, I think referencing sort of the stages of change and trying to figure out where your child is in that process and, and, and just maintaining it and not, you know, leaping from stage one to stage four, as you think it, you know, things are jumping. Yeah, I think as parents in general, we always want to kind of nudge our kids along. Of course, yeah. Nudge, but I'm sure it's more than a nudge. Um, it's hard. it's hard not to do that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, with the students I work with, it's hard, you know, not to get super excited when they have momentum and you're like, okay, we're there. Right. You know, we've turned the corner and um, we've all stepped into that. But just recognizing when it's happening, mm-hmm. I think, is really important. Yeah. Well, and I think they probably feel, I'm guessing, they probably feel that if they're struggling to learn or they're struggling in school, that they worry about, you know, will, can I, will I be successful on the outside? You talk in the book ab- about performance-based versus learning-based expectations. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, we're really talking about learning how to learn and, and, and learning how to push through struggle to learn no matter how slow that goes versus I'm learning just to perform on the next quiz or the next test. And both are important, but but quite often I run into students who, you know, have been in an academic system that's strictly focused on the performance piece on the next thing that's coming down the road. And while I, I think that works for a lot of students, those that, that struggle to keep up with the pace in school learn other strategies. And it's sort of Keep your head down, deflect um, attention from yourself, cheat on a test to get through, just memorize, you know, whatever it is for that class, take the test and forget it the second the test is over. And I think what's, what's more important on a long term is, is, is teaching students that it's possible to, to struggle and persist with things that are hard uh, because you can learn that you can get better at it. Sometimes you can get really good, but you can learn that, that the anxiety of, of sitting there and struggling or regulating your bottom into the chair is something that you can work through 
um, and overcome. And for all of these experiential learners, if you don't give them the opportunity to do that, they'll never learn it. And so what they'll take moving forward is how do I find the workaround or the shortcut or whatever it might be? And I think that's a very limiting approach to the world, especially if you have a difference or a learning disability that, that, that is going to be an ongoing challenge, uh, not a barrier, um, but a challenge to work around. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The human experience is a huge part of it, right? I mean, it's it's why you started your school, right? Right. Which is why you called it Human X. So can we talk about the school a little bit, why you started it? And one of the things you talk about in the book is about learning to ask the right questions. Right. So if you could share some tips or, or advice for parents on that, I think it would be really helpful. Well, I, I really, I think one of the most important things when you're working with anybody is, is really to listen to them and, and see what they're, what they're saying, what their experience is, um, because they all have really good insights. And in addition to that, I think it's important to listen to their response to questions or how they are responding to where they're at, um, because I think that also is informative in and, and their understanding of themselves and where they're at with change and, and what next steps might be available. And I think that's wrapped into our school, which is, you know, we, we have a team of people there that are just absolutely amazing from the, our principal um, and, and all of our teachers and, and, and volunteers that are part of what we do. We really have to slow down and, and think about each individual student and who they are and what their, their strengths and weaknesses are and, and what that means for them in each subject area throughout the day. And all of our students will have, you know, at least one class area that they're good at and feel comfortable. And they'll have at least one area they would rather avoid. And the only way to help somebody, you know, build on their strengths and figure out how to work through or around their, their academic challenges is to back up and go, who are they? You know, and, and that begins with conversations with the parents and the child. And then also taking a look at uh, any of the, the testing that, that has happened when they're in school, cognitive or achievement testing, because that's, that's a pretty good tool to be able to identify where the hiccups are. Um, and then as we begin to understand that, we can help students begin to understand that about themselves in a way that doesn't feel assaultive. I know it's hard for you to, to write sometime, like what's worked for you? Have there been any accommodations that work for you? Let's see if we can do that. Um, or I know you have attentional issues. You know, it probably takes you 30 minutes of sitting in a chair before you're sort of wound down enough to be able to focus and do anything. Do you realize that or do you plan for that when you're working on things? Let's help you practice that here while you're at school. Let's dig in. 
Um, and then on top of that, at school, for us, it's really important that we don't load our kids with homework. In fact, we don't do homework um, because there is, you know, insufficient data out there, I would say, that, that suggests that, that homework improves learning. You know, uh, no research that I know of that says homework improves executive functioning skills. Um, and it usually um, creates some tension or drama at home with families, so ruins that family experience. Um, and then from my perspective, more importantly, um, it doesn't provide that student to recharge so they're ready to take on the struggles of the next day. So then you can get into this downward spiral of just negative feedback and that we want students to learn how to come to school and be present and and work during the day and really push themselves to learn how to be around other peers and navigate that and how to work with adults and how to take on the academics. Go home and recharge and let's start again. Um, because that's, that's a life skill that we all have, right? I mean, the best employees are expected to come to work and do their work and not take it home at the end of the day, right? And, right. and, and college students the same. Like the best college students study during the daytime and, and don't wait to the evening to do it, you know, yeah. which yeah. took me a year to figure out in college. I have to admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it takes most people at yeah. least a year. Well, unfortunately, most public schools don't provide an environment and I'm not, I'm not bashing public schools. No kids are public wonderful school students, yeah. but they don't have the opportunity or whether it's the funding or the resources yeah. to create an environment for teens, kids in general, who, who might attend a school like yours. And if there isn't one locally, they're kind of out of luck, right? So I hate to use that word or those words out of luck, but it's unfortunate for them. So what can parents and potentially teachers do to help kids develop exactly what you're talking about to, to get better at functioning during the day, during the school day, and not have a ton of homework at night. Do you have any tips on that? Well, I think you have to get creative. Um, but, but I would say take a step back and understand your circumstance really well. Um, because I think that especially is an anxiety-provoking um, situation and, 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 and highly frustrating. And, and so I think it's understand completely what your child's strengths and weaknesses are and figure out how to navigate them in a way that fits your child and not just your own personal experience, which I think is really hard because every one of our maps on the world is based on our experience in the world um, and how you approach school and, and your son or daughter might have a slightly different approach to the world based on who they are. Um, and so I think it's, it's pull in as many professionals in the area that are, that are knowledgeable to help you out and go, here's what we got. What makes sense for us? Does it mean more or less of something or extra tutoring or a different learning environment? Um, that's, that's important. And really that's when I wrote this book, it was about that. It was about, slow down and understand what makes sense and have a plan based on all of the knowledge that you have right now um, and, and have, in, have purpose in what you're doing. Um, because if you don't 
have that complete complete picture, you're left to just grasp at things um, that that are probably really helpful tools when well timed and appropriately applied. But if you don't have an understanding for the challenge, it's hard to be able to do that. But there are there are professionals in every community around the world that that can help with that, um, and they can help navigate a, a public school environment if that makes sense. Or or you know maybe worst case scenario, advocate for you or with you with the district to figure out what else needs to happen. And um, districts are required to provide an education that's appropriate for your student and um, they have to do that. And, and the best way to advocate is to be super knowledgeable and have a team of people with you that are really good at advocating and also understand that as well. Um, and again, that's not to say that, that, that anyone in the district, you know, uh, isn't trying to help, but they are taxed. They're, they're short on, um, on resources to be able to, to help students and, um, and know what they know really well. And they might not be well-equipped or knowledgeable for your specific circumstance. So knowledge is power. I agree. And do you have any suggestions about finding a local resource? Because there's lots of them, right? But I mean, is there a way, is there a database or some sort of online resource that you can go to well, I mean, I think um, psychologists or therapists or professionals that work with kids, um, I think I, you can start there. Look for those who work with sort of a neurodiverse population that, that understand learning disabilities and learning styles. Um, another approach is to look for um, educational consultants or advocates that that are knowledgeable in both sort of the presentation of these challenges and um, and then the resources that are available in your area. Um, and, and I think they're, they're really essential because in my experience, they, they know pretty much all the resources that are available out there and have been there and have really strong opinions and can, and, and can help you sort of look at your child and look at what maybe the district is offering and go bad fit for whatever reason. Um, and they can help you navigate that. And, and there's, there's no parent really that could know all of that. Um, so you need to find those people to help you with it. That's great advice. So one last question, what can parents do to help their teen develop more responsibility and accountability? Because look, as parents, we want to do for them. We want to help them. We want to protect them. We want to pave the way, but we know that especially as they get older and are transitioning into the world, they have to start having more autonomy, more responsibility, more accountability, any particular ideas or strategies to help, especially, you know, neurodiverse young people? Right. Well, I mean, I would say pick an area where you want to take on that challenge and try to leverage that. I think uh, accountability, well, probably for all teens, but I think this population specifically um, occurs best when there's like a, a reason for why they would need to do it. Um, so I always talk with students about, I know you don't want to do this now, or you're irritated with me as we're working on this. It's like, you're going to need this down the road. Um, and, and when students can begin to find a purpose for it, it's amazing what they can step up and do. But I think even before that, I mean, with all of our students, 
our goal at the end of the day is we want students to show up on time, at least understand the importance of showing up on time, meeting expectations most of the time, um, getting along with others most of the time, um, and learning to be accountable to self. And I'm convinced that in the world, like those are the key skills that you have to have to be successful at anything. And it doesn't matter what your training or educational background is. If you can't do those four things, it's going to be a tough road. Um, you know, cause the, the, the world will bend over backwards to help anybody what their strengths or weaknesses are. If you can sort of advocate appropriately and do those four things, if you can't, the world's going to move on. They, they don't care or, or have the time. And, and no one is going to be patient with, with people that aren't willing to work toward those things. And so early in working with kids, you know, our immediate goals are like, be curious, be curious about what we're doing, like lean in and be engaged, communicate at some level with those around you um, and be willing to accept help. And that becomes the foundation moving forward. Because we all need to be curious, we all need to communicate our needs, and we all need help along the way. Um, and then I think as you move up toward those other four, I think learning to be aware of your own emotions and behavior and, and what's going on with yourself in any situations. Learning to be persistent, which goes back to that learning to learn piece and, and pushing through struggle. And before we can all be accountable to ourselves, we need to be accountable to others. And I think that does start with mom and dad, but I think peers as well. And so I am always talking with students about all of these things and just sort of the natural discourse of working with students, because it's, these aren't necessarily things that are intuitive um, for anyone and just pointing out like, here's how it works. Right. And, you know, you have hopes and dreams and those things are great, but there are foundational skills that you have to have before you're going to find success there, um, even if you are motivated to do it. And again, I think as parents are thinking about that, as they're developing a strategy to work with those kids, they can help them make great next steps. The, the biggest mistake I see parents make at this transition is that, you know, their child has this interest in whatever it might be. And it's like, great, we're going to get them in and they're going to jump in and we're ready to go. And, um, Sometimes that works, but, but I think more often than not, it doesn't because the student's not ready for that thing to happen. And I've seen kids jump into their area of passion and it, it blows up on them because they're not ready. And then they never go back to it because it was another failure in a series of failures. And so it's, it's slow down, focus on these other skills and, and keep that carrot out there and explain, here's what we're working toward, you know, going to college or having that job requires a lot of other skills, not just a passion for that thing. You got to show up every day, every day, and you got to get along with people and you got to be accountable to yourself and others. And you got to, you know, meet expectations and, you know, all that stuff. Um, and so having that strategy is the most important thing to get everybody there. That is great great insight and helpful i think to parents of all teens sure um, yeah so this has been really really valuable and interesting and 
I think parents are going to get a lot out of this. But if anybody wants to reach out to you, find, follow you um, mm-hmm. online, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, well, I, I'm on LinkedIn uh, under Thomas Welch. You can also email me, I suppose, too, at, uh, at HumanX Academy. So you can, you can connect with me there as well. So I think those are two easy places uh, to get a hold of me. Okay. I'm going to put a link to those as well as a link to your book and a link to your school in the show notes so people can learn more about you and the work you do and and check out your book because I really think it's a a valuable resource for parents. So thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I always love discussing this topic for sure. I hope you found this conversation helpful. I think the big takeaway here for parents is that we need to meet our kids where they are. Some will move along the teenage timeline quicker than others, and that's okay. If our kids aren't getting the support they need in school, we need to be their best advocates and seek out resources to provide what they need. And while I'm not an expert in working with neurodiverse teens, if I can assist your teen or young adult as they explore career options, I'd be glad to help. Just reach out. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm so grateful you took the time to listen, and I'd really appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the High School Hamster Wheel podcast in your favorite podcast player. I welcome your feedback, and I'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Be sure and check out the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash 107, where I will include all links mentioned during this episode. If you know of a teenager who's unsure of their next step after high school, a college student rethinking their future career path, or a young person who just needs some guidance while evaluating their career choices, I can help. You can learn more about me and the coaching I offer at BetsyJewelCoaching.com. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Guilty Greenie. I feel like we should start off this show by saying it's nearly impossible to be 100% sustainable given the current world we live in. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Not a great analogy for a vegetarian, but you know. We're talking uh, about sustainability, maybe not the best analogy. Don't eat the elephant is the first rule of the Guilty Greenie. There's your first challenge of the week. Avoid (laughs) elephants. What they used to call frugal is now considered sustainable. It's such an aha moment. Frugal to sustainable. You can save money and help the planet. That's going to be our new tagline for sure. You can find Guilty Greenie on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you prefer. And join us in tackling the Guilty Greenie challenges. Until then, stay curiously green.